The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I thought I would just uh, share a, uh, a little bit of personal experience and then ask Alexis to do the same. And then I would like to solicit questions from you about your practice or about the way we're practicing. So keep that in mind. Um, all of us have observed even if you've just barely started practice but those who've been practicing for a decade or two or more know that practice evolves practice changes you know in the beginning of practice you struggle with just getting comfortable in the body and dealing with this crazy restless mind that's just all over the place and dealing with, of course, the uh, torments of the mind, the uh, insatiable desire and fear and anxiety and depression and other things that just take up a lot of discretionary disk space. And, you know, it takes, it takes, it takes a lot of, uh, effort. It takes a lot of, um, techniques. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, willpower. Uh, it takes a lot of encouragement. It takes a lot of inspiration. And it's, and there's nobody finds it easy. It's, it's difficult. It's challenging to get. But we see, you know, you keep at it for, you know, five minutes and the second ten minutes is easier or you keep at it for the first five years and the second five years is, no, that's not true. It's not always, <laughs> it's not always easier. Sometimes it seems harder. But that's because we are actually opening to more of what is actually going on in our uh, experience in the body and the mind. So it's quite natural, it's normal to need to uh, seek out other teachings, other uh, techniques, other understandings of practice, so that you can get what is most useful for you at that time. So we all, you know, over the course of, you know, years or decades of practice acquire a lot of, um, well, meditators' tools. And so we have a meditators' toolkit that has some Theravada practices like Anapanasati, paying attention to the breath, or paying attention to the rising, falling of the abdomen. Some teachers teach uh, noting by labeling your experience. Some teach counting the breaths. Some teach just posture as the uh, the main or the primary um object of your meditation but all some teach a lot of loving kindness or metta as a supplement or a complement to your to your practice or compassion if you have a lot of suffering uh, sometimes there's active uh, subvocal chanting as a way of addressing sloth and torpor and there's all kinds of practices forgiveness practice for uh, when you feel a lot of that kind of stuff and loving kindness when you have a lot of anger, aversion, um, reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha when you need inspiration. There's just, there's just a lot of reflections. There's a lot of techniques. There's a lot of different, um, skills that we can learn. The interesting thing about all of them is they're, they're all aimed towards cultivating awareness. It's the, it's the understanding that this is what's going on in the mind, in your life, at that time. Breathing in is going on. Breathing out is going on. Anger is going on. Fear is going on. Pain in the body is going on. It's not the object, breath, sensations, thoughts, emotions, that is the goal of practice. The goal of practice is the awareness. And yet, so few of us actually get that pointed out to us that what we're cultivating here is the awareness, not the breath, not the posture, not the loving kindness, not the, it's the awareness of whatever's going on. So Sayadaw Utejaniya is, um, he's a young man, he's about 50 now? 52. And he was a layman, like all of us. He, he was a, um, uh, family man and had his own business and of course in Burma as a young man growing up he had a a, a monastic teacher that taught him meditation and when he was a young man, young boy and a man he he ordained several times for uh, 
a few months to a couple of years. Um, and so he learned meditation young. And actually he suffered severe depression when he was a young adult. And it was just numbingly piercing, painful, debilitating depression. And he tried all the usual things, you know, drugs and distraction and whatever else, but it was only through learning to recognize his awareness of the depressing depression symptoms, the thoughts, the kind of thoughts, the the critical self-judgment, the what's going on in the body. And actually through that, he uh, found a way to, let's say, I won't say cure, but to, to understand depression and has been able to, for a couple of decades now, not suffer with depression. So his way of speaking about the mind and speaking about practice is particularly adept or is particularly suitable to householders like ourselves. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to be a nun. You don't have to be in retreat for most of the year. And it's for people living their ordinary lives, undertaking their family, their domestic, civic, social, professional, personal obligations, responsibilities, and interests. And cultivating awareness in all of that. And it's particularly suitable for us Westerners who think a lot. Because, don't we? Yeah. You know, so many of us, somehow, even though our teacher has never said so, we think, we think, we believe, we act as if, we practice as if thinking is the enemy. And we've got to stop it. That's a struggle, isn't it? You can't stop the mind from thinking. Just like you can't stop the ears from hearing. You can't stop the eyes from seeing. You can't stop the body from feeling. You can't stop the mind from thinking unless you undertake a specific practice and really hone in there. So what I find so refreshing about Saito Utejaniyas, and let me just say, I practiced in uh, an object-oriented tradition for 30 years. Object orients me, you know, in every moment there's an object being, I'm doing a three-dimensional instruction. There's an object that arises and is being known. And we can direct our attention to the breath at the nostrils, breathing in, being known. Breathing out, being known. Hearing sounds, being known. Feeling sensations is being known. Thinking, being known. What else? Fill in the blank. Something. Being known. Something. Being known. Something. Being known. Mostly we get fascinated with the object. The something. The breath. The sounds. The painful sensation in the body. The unskillful, unpleasant, bothersome quality or emotion in the heart. And what we miss is this. <laughs> this, is what, this is what's happening all the time. Is We're aware of it. So, Sayadaw Tejaniya's teaching is not object-oriented. He doesn't talk a lot about, this is the object, this is what you should be paying attention to. He talks always about, this is what you should be recognizing, the awareness of whatever's happening. You can choose which object to attend to. You can choose the breath if you want. You can choose the body sensation. You can choose sounds if you want. But always he points to recognizing the awareness of whatever it is you're choosing. And if you don't choose anything, there's still something being known because awareness is going on all the time. So what we're, what we're cultivating when we practice with him is really the recognition of the awareness. Remembering to recognize present moment's experience, that's the object and the knowing of it. But if we get focused on the object, if we if we focus this way, just looking at the object, looking at the object, the awareness gets sometimes gets embedded in the object or gets absorbed in the object, and we forget that we're aware that awareness is happening. So we're careful not to be so object-oriented. Of course, in every moment there is an object that arises, but we want to recognize the awareness. If we get kind of 
focused on the object. Now, this is a three-dimensional. This is a, a facial expression instruction. So you have to see my face. You know, when we get object-oriented and we're, we're trying to focus on the breath or focusing on sensations in the body, we go... You know, that that's kind of what our mind is doing. It's going... You know, we hunch our shoulders, we furrow our brow, we point our attention down our nose towards whatever it is we're looking at. That's really good for getting a headache. Okay. If I ask you, now you're just sitting here, don't change your posture, don't do anything different, I'm just going to ask you, can you feel the sensations in your right hand? Don't even move it. Can you feel the sensations in your right hand? If there's anybody that can't, just say, I can't. Okay. How much effort did that take? Nothing. Almost nothing. You just had to turn your attention there and you'd recognize it, right? That's all it takes. You didn't have to hunch your shoulders. You didn't have to furrow your brow. You didn't have to focus. All you had to do was allow your attention, allow your attention to receive the experience. That's the attitude of mind we want to have when we practice awareness-oriented practice. Allowing, receiving, open, acknowledging, waiting, being patient. These are the qualities of mind in uh, in the attitude that we want to bring to practice rather than struggling, striving, getting, having, focusing, piercing, (laughs) whatever. You know, quite different energy, isn't it? You know, focusing, getting, grabbing, attending. Where really it's allowing, recognizing, opening, receiving, acknowledging, accepting. Very different energy. So watching these attitudes of mind, this is one of Sayadaw's main instructions, guidance. Distinguishing characteristics of his teaching is check your attitude of mind. Not at the door in your mind. And rather than asking what is happening or what is being known, which is object-oriented, ask yourself, is the mind aware? Is the mind aware? Okay, even though you're sitting here. You're sitting here, you listen to me jabber on, you've been here for 45 minutes, the body's getting a little and you're kind of wondering what the heck this guy's talking about, do I really get it, I don't know if I get it yet, and Are you aware? Is the mind aware? Right? The mind's aware. I didn't ask you, what is the mind aware of? Because you could say, oh, the sensations, the sounds. uh Just, is the mind aware? Now, as you're listening, as you're listening to what I'm saying, what is your attitude of mind? This is, no, you can't focus anywhere, can you? You can't say, oh, I'm going to find my attitude of mind in my hand. You, know, you, you don't find it in your hand. You don't find it in your chest. You don't find it in your head. Where's your attitude of mind? It's in the mind. Okay. So as you're listening to me, what's your attitude of mind? What attitude of mind is present? Let me offer some suggestions. <laughs> Interest. Curiosity. Attention. Attentiveness. Uh, maybe... Confused, boring, bored, uh, bewildered, critical, skeptical. These are all attitudes of mind, right? You don't have to focus on them. All you have to do is recognize them. As soon as you recognize them, you're no longer caught in them. But if you don't recognize them, they are controlled. They're running the show. Because we can be really, you know, pretty, pretty wound up in our attitudes of mind and not recognize them. So one of the primary turning of our attention in in practicing mindfulness of mind is what's your attitude of mind? Just check. What's your attitude of mind? And it's just a matter of stepping back from whatever it is you're fascinated with. You know, the story of your life or the, the person you're talking to or somebody you see or something you hear. 
you know, what you're imagining is going to happen later. Rather than focusing on that, just step back, check your attitude of mind. And ask, is the mind aware? The interesting thing about asking the question, is the mind aware? If you can remember to ask that question, you can never answer no. Try it. Ask yourself, is the mind aware? Is the mind aware? If you say no, brain dead. Or something like that. Okay. So, is the mind is the mind aware? <laughs> Barely. He tired. He had to work all week. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty close. Uh, it's like a ice cream. The, Hi, question, the question I want to ask you is, for, for the benefit of these people, you've done some practice, you've been wandering in India and, and, and maybe even in Burma for a while, and then you came across Sayadaw Tejaniya. What about his teaching grabbed your attention? So I told Steve, um, I told Steve before I came up here that I feel like I have about two brain cells working, so... I'm going to see if some more firing comes online. So first I just want to say hi. It's good to be here. Um, just curious, if, is anyone new tonight, first time here? No, there's three of us. <laughs> good. Well, good to see you. It's my first time. So anyone else is, wow, gosh. You guys must really like it here. You've done a good job, Mark. <laughs> so... I had been doing a few years of practice um, before I went to Burma. Someone had given me just a really brief description of Saito Tejaniya. Um, he used words like, you know, he te- teaches in a really natural way. And my, my way of orienting around practice was really kind of heavy-handed doing. So very, um, it was pretty strict um, and the style I was doing was is, was really tracking very closely the sensations in the body, and I'd say I was I got really good at that. I could I could just target what was going on in my in my physical, you know, being and scanning and even having a global sense of of what was going on in the body. Meanwhile, somewhere in the background, I was slowly getting depressed and. I thought, well, this is, how is this happening? I, I found the Dhamma, this thing I truly love. And for a while, there was a honeymoon phase of practice where I just loved it. And there was something else that was obviously happening, but I was focusing in a way using my mind that was uh, very pointed to specific aspects of experience. And I wasn't yet inviting in kind of the full picture of you know, my own, my own experience. If we, if we really think about what is the, what is the Dhamma, what, what is it for, what are we doing? And basic questions of, you know, why are we practicing? You know, common answers are, well, there's the idea that there is some suffering that we all experience and there's a possibility of potentially freeing the heart and mind from this stress and struggle, the sense of loneliness and alienation, of the inner critic that's constantly running, the shame that we tend to carry around, ideas that I'm no good, I'm bad. So what is it that liberates us from from those tormenting aspects of the mind? And as he was saying, this quality of awareness is in service of something. Why are we developing awareness? <coughs> Compassion? Yeah. What else? Wisdom? Hmm. One of the things that's, that's uh, spoken about in terms of how the path unfolds, 
that the qualities do kind of build, and there are beautiful qualities of mind like compassion that, are, in a way, are the fruit of a mind that is freer and freer. And if we really look in terms of the specific habits of mind that really cause us trouble, when we're free of them, it's because they've been seen. They've been seen, we've let them in, we've become intimate with them, and through that intimacy of watching with awareness, they can be let go of. And yet so much of practice can be an avoidance of, I don't want to feel, I don't want to see, or what I really want to do is to try and create the experience that I wish to have. I want to create, of course, we all want to create some pleasant feeling, some calm in the mind. And oftentimes what actually is happening is we can be avoiding the true things that are rising, the, the thoughts that we really don't like having, the feelings we don't like having. And yet every time we skirt around it to try and you know get rid of those in order to get back to our calm and pleasant experience, we're actually missing an opportunity to see that habit of mind and its consequences. That when we identify with, when we're not aware of these aspects of mind, they continue to show up. They continue to show up. And we can be really good at certain moments of using our attention to target it at some aspect of experience, like for me, the body sensations. And yet, there was a huge mood. I mean, it was just obvious that I was feeling, you know, increasingly despairing. And I had, you know, I'd gone onto the spiritual path because I was deeply suffering. And so it was like, what, what's going on here? I, I found this thing I loved. How is it now that I'm missing something else? How am I still suffering so much? And so when I met Sayadaw Tejaniya, he just said, let it all in. Invite it all in. Your awareness can know everything. Right? There's nothing that awareness refuses to know. Awareness receives everything, really everything. That is the breath, the nature of the breath. We can use the breath as a perfect vehicle for development. We can use the body. We can use the mind. Any, anything that, the, that we're knowing is perfect for some understanding. And so the invitation over time really is, what, do we, what can we let in? And you know, really, in staying with certain aspects of experience, if it's the sensations in the body, and something else shows up, at that point, now the awareness is starting to get better. And if we have the idea in the mind that this new thing is a distraction, that someone approaching me and talking loudly or being rude is a distraction rather than something else that the mind is now becoming aware of. We're limiting our practice. And so then the idea of where practice happens, which tends to be only on the cushion or only when it's quiet, right? we really restrict our life to, or the meaning of practice, to very narrow container. And so just, you know, during the course of the day today, you think of how was the mindfulness? How was the mindfulness today? Is it pretty good? Some people have a good day. Someone had a good day of mindfulness. You know, and so if you guys have been um, really cultivating that, it becomes possible, right? We can actually do this in our life. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to happen only when the conditions are, are, uh, you know, as we wish them to be. So, I'm going to just I'm going to pause there. Um, yeah, so just very simply, the, being invited, the, the real thing that shifted for me was to look at this path as a path of watching our experiences for the purpose of understanding. That if we wish to, to really get to the root causes of, of why we get in so much tension and struggle and conflict internally and externally that we need to watch and that watching brings increasing understanding. Right? And so can we build this sense of the continuity of awareness in such a way that it becomes natural to the mind? How does the awareness become natural or how does it become natural? 
And this is one of the things that in this last retreat, and we see this over and over again, this first few days on retreat for people, when they're trying to do this sort of orientation, it's a little bit confusing because it's so much easier to take up the personal effort and place the attention on the object. But if you're given the instruction, just check to see if awareness is present or not, which is a much more relaxed and natural way of checking to see if awareness is there. It just takes some more time. It's like, you know, the ringing the bell. In the beginning, it's cold, but you just tap it, you, know, you tap it lightly, and it slowly starts to hum. It resonates. And that resonance starts to become the more natural habit of the mind, so that instead of constantly trying to turn the attention to the object, now the awareness is almost like it's going in its own natural way. So then experiences are being met with a sense of this ongoing awareness. And that, that's a little bit what um, Utejaniya really is wanting his yogis to, to get from him. Because then the possibility of practicing at home and in work, which is what he did, and he always talks about his insights as being as happening in the midst of the marketplace, in the midst of a conversation. Very rarely does he talk about it when he was sitting on the cushion with his eyes closed. So he really is interested in, in empowering his students to really take that to heart because we live most of our time, you know, walking around, our eyes are open, we're very social beings. So can we use that as a foundation for, for our practice, you know, for our wisdom for awareness. Okay, we'll pause here and have more about, we have no idea whether or not this is making any sense to you, so this is a good chance to see what's happening. <laughs> Do you have any comments or questions or some experience of your own that you'd like to comment on? Yeah. Um, in my experience, I, I'm going back to what you said about an object being known. Yes. Because as I experience it quite often, sort of the action of changing point of view or channeling or absorbing, that what can happen is the object being known starts to be known from being the object, and then you're knowing in a different perspective. And this is, this happens a lot in, um, Today I was working on healing touch on somebody and she was telling me something and it was a concern of hers and I just got like a prickling right here and I thought, oh, I'm experiencing you as an object in an internal way, which is like empathy. So I don't know if I'm completely down with the idea of always focusing on the knowing because sometimes in the becoming of the object, you know in a different way. And I believe that we are all capable of knowing from more than one point of view. Simultaneously being able to see the world from inside and outside. So what's your comment on that? Um, you know, I, I can't repeat the question, but, I, you know, I mean... Just because it was quite long and, and, and uh, you know involved and very very personal to your experience, but you know what? I agree. I agree in the sense that there are many ways to know an experience. We can know it from outside. We can know it from inside. We can know it from kinesthetically. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all an example. What do you see? What do you see? Uh, bowl, bell, what? Hemisphere, shiny, huh? I couldn't understand it. Empty, okay, empty. Anything else? Huh? Gold, color, yeah, what else? Half of a sphere, okay, what else? Stephen holding a bowl. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what else? Huh? <laughs> I suppose. Okay. Okay. Now, from from what we just heard, it sounds like there's a lot of different things here, right? But actually, you know, we all know this is a bowl, 
It's a bell for ringing at the end of a sitting. And what we actually saw was... What we actually saw, meaning not with our eyes, but what we saw is this function, this this purpose, this... right. Okay, so we can see it from the color perspective. We can see it from the function perspective. We can see it from the shape perspective. We can see it from its name. Okay. So there's many different ways of knowing a single thing. And this is just a bowl. Just think about our heart. My God. There's lots of ways to know. What do you think? <laughs> He's always got something really interesting, different than I, <laughs> than I say. <laughs> so I'm always interested in what he's thinking. Go ahead. I usually have a blank mind until I start, so I don't know if I'm have anything to add. Um, I just want to say that, you know, oftentimes when I've, because uh, with Sinoctegenia, that because there's a lot of interest in kind of what he's adding to the mix right now, um, there's an attempt to try and classify, is it the mind, mindfulness of mind that he's really emphasizing? Is it the awareness? And he just tells me over and over again, I'm just teaching the Satipatthana Sutta, just the, the foundations of, of mindfulness. And what he really wants to encourage the, um, you know, the practitioners to remember is that it's the activity of mind that is doing the practice. And so we just need to in, include that so that we can know how am I practicing. So as you're saying that we can know this object in a lot of ways. And all those ways of knowing that object includes the mind that's relating to it. And so just that's the kind of the flavor that is uh, emphasized or, or really trying to be included in the aspect of it's it's the mind, the foundations of mindfulness. And then we ask, well, you know, what is practicing? Well, it's the mind. It's the qualities of mind. And these are the foundations that we're using to support the mindfulness. So didn't really go to your question, but just to kind of recap things I wanted to put in there. Hi. Wait, wait, you better better let us comment on that because, you know, if you go on to number two, we're never going to remember what number one was. Do you remember the first one? You you, you can answer that one. (laughs) I'm too old to remember two things at once. Oh, psychotherapy, patterns of thinking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Again, when we talk about, as I heard you talking about, awareness of mind or mindfulness of mind, what I heard you talking about is the patterns in the mind, which is, again, the objects. The object of the mind is these thoughts or these patterns or these the content. And while that is always something being known, what awareness of awareness is, is looking at this, recognizing this, the awareness itself. Not the patterns of the thinking or the quality of the thinking. It includes, of course, that. But primarily, it's the recognition of the awareness itself, not the content of the awareness. Whether it's the thought or the patterns of the thought, or the, even the emotional tone of the thought. Of course, these are all important, and they're they're also known. But it's also this recognition of the awareness itself. Okay. What do you think? Sure. Or or not. <laughs> then you can go and then do, do the death part. Uh, when would you say when you were facing death? Uh, awareness of awareness is really important. Oh, hey, hey, you know, the, the Buddha was really, the Buddha said, every day, every day you should contemplate the fact that, you know what? Someday, and it might be today. You know what? There isn't anybody in the room. There's not one of us in the room that knows we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. We don't know that. We assume, we think, we hope, we believe, but we don't know. Take that in. 
And does that, does that enhance your recognition of, well, if I don't, if I'm not here tomorrow, what is it that's missing? Awareness. You're right. Good idea. But don't get morbid about it. This isn't about getting morbid. You know, a lot of people, when they contemplate death or they contemplate the fact of death, they get kind of like bummed out, like worried, anxious, fretful. I don't know if I'm going to have enough health insurance or I wonder if it's going to be a car accident. God, I hope not. And, you know, and that's not what it's about. It's about just recognizing the, well, really the, the uniqueness of what it means to be alive. It's like we know something, anything. Just going to say quickly about <clears throat> the um, the way you describe psychotherapy, working with depression. I, I don't know anything about psychotherapy, really, but the way you described it—that you would see these thoughts that would create this depressive, you know, mind—that that is that's what we would that's what would be the fruit of a continuity of awareness that sees. We say, you know, practice is seeing the way, seeing things, seeing the way things are, or the way things have come to be. How do we do that? You know, the the quality that allows us to do that is this steadiness of awareness that enables us to actually understand. I mean, it's so interesting that a subtle thought about oneself that's negative—we don't catch it, you don't see it—and it can condition hours of a mood. Wild. Just identifying oneself with a negative thought. It's amazing. And then seeing it and we remind ourselves, oh, it's just a thought. So that's now, you know, we're introducing, we use the word a lot, right view. And the right view is to reflect on things as being natural risings. We don't, we no longer have to take them more personally. We don't have to identify with them. Even if the thought is saying, I am so bad. You can let that thought say what it wants to say. You say, oh yeah, you, you just say that, and I'm going to see you as a thought. You're just a thought. You're arising in the present moment, and I'm seeing the, the kind of mood and emotion arise. And when we don't see it a lot, depression can follow from the understanding of the mind, you know, from the Buddhist perspective. You know, I think death, death wake, wakes us up to the way things are. Very, I mean, you hear it all the time. People that are, are, Facing near-death experiences, or if you've, or if you've been with someone who are dying, or you know have been told that they suddenly have a terminal illness, suddenly they don't want to waste time, and the mind is it can be very bright, and you know it it brings that sense of clarity of oh this is fleeting, so we're not as lost in all the concepts and stories of the mind right at that moment. We're really clear. Oh wow, what's of value to me? I'm 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 really here right now. Thank you for your question. So the comment there, the question is, how much emphasis or does Sayadaw put on the coloring of the awareness, right? The greed, the delusion, the aversion. Again, I'm going to do a three-dimensional um, instruction to try to just to try to kind of point to some of what's being known in our practice. So, as I mentioned before, sorry, this is just my way of talking about it. In every moment, something is being known. Okay. Something is being known. And what we're trying to recognize with awareness is that activity, that process. Now, even, now I'm going to, even when you space out, you know, you're trying to pay attention and, you know, you just space out. You forget. You forget. And after three minutes, five minutes or ten minutes, you kind of snap out of it and you go, oh, geez, I've been lost in thought. You know, at the time you were lost in thought, you, you didn't know anything. You didn't know you were thinking. You didn't know you were sitting, standing. You didn't know your gender, your age, your location. You didn't know anything. Completely ignorant. Not you, but there was nothing being known. And yet, as soon as you come out of that train of thought, sometimes 
without even trying, you can just remember the whole train of thought. You can just remember what you were thinking about, right? Okay, so in every moment, something is being known, but not always being aware. We're not always aware. We're not aware that something is being known, and we're not aware of the knowing. Awareness is recognizing this. Okay? Now, some things that are known are very unpleasant. Pain in the body, let's take. Pain in the body. And so, when it's being known, pain in the body conditions an aversive reaction in the mind. And so we say, this pain in the body, being known, conditions aversion in the mind, which is like, I wish I had a third hand, which is like this filter that's right here. So that in the knowing, the knowing is looking through aversion to see this pain. And so what we see is aversion, right? Okay, so now what is actually being known is not the pain in the body, it's the aversion in the mind. Now, how many of you, when you're watching aversion in the mind, when you recognize that there's aversion, aversion is being known, aversion is being known, you get angry at the aversion. Okay? Where's that? Where's that? And, and okay, so anger is being known, and you get, you get angry, you get, you get upset that you're angry. And so there's another layer of anger being known. And then we try to, we try to get rid of the anger by kind of like, Staring it down. It's like, maybe if I just focus hard enough, I'm just angered. <laughs> so where's that? So here's this anger. We're looking at this anger, right? We're observing this anger. And in the observing, we have aversion. We have this, we have this agenda to get rid of this aversion. That's embedded in the knowing mind. It's not in reaction to the pain. It's in the effort that we're making with our awareness. Did you get it? You see the difference between the aversion that arises in reaction to the object, conditioned by the object. But there's also this unwholesome state of mind that arises due to the effort we're making in relation to the object. We're trying to get rid of it. And that aversion is in the, it's in the observing mind. That's attitude of mind. This is where we say, check your attitude of mind. Oh yeah, I'm st- struggling with, I'm trying to get rid of. I got an agenda to fix. I got an agenda to explain. I got an agenda to, you know, figure it out. And a lot of times we're practicing with these agendas. And the agendas are embedded in the practicing mind, the mind that's practicing being aware. And it's like, I got to figure it out. I got to explain it. I got to get rid of it. I got to... That's here. That's why checking your attitude and asking, is the mind aware, is so important. What do you think? Oh, there's people over here. <laughs> okay. I was wondering, other than awareness and, and being known, what would be a couple other words to describe awareness? Just like to understand what it is or talk about it? <laughs> okay, so the question is, we're saying awareness, uh, object being known and awareness, and she wants to, another couple of words to point to awareness so she can know what the hell we're talking about. Right? If I was a Zen master, I would now hit you with the stick. <laughs> because, you know, that's how Zen masters are. They just, you ask a question like that and they go, whack. And you don't have to think about what that experience is. You know, uh, I'm aware of being, you know, kind of hit. I'm aware of the pain. I'm aware of the self-consciousness, the embarrassment. It's like, got it. Whack. <laughs> I'm not saying we don't talk about it. We talk about it all the time. It's just hard. It's so subtle. It's We don't have the language for it, do we? We don't really have easy language. We can't say it's this shape, this color, this texture. It's located in this place. We can't say that about awareness, can we? All we can do is say, you recognize it or you don't. Uh, got any suggestions? Other words for awareness? 
Is it because you don't you don't recognize when it's present, or you're trying to figure out its nature? What what's the root? Yeah, Just, I'd say leave leave the nature alone, because it's I, I, it's so it's not material. So it's it has a function, and I'd say if you can really recognize the difference between when you're not present, when there's no mindfulness, no awareness. And when there is, then you're already recognizing. So you can, when you ask yourself, am I aware? This, you don't have to go looking for it, just a sense of, and I make it really, uh, you know, when I was really trying to figure out for myself, am I aware right now? And (laughs) what is this? And I just ask, you know, am I lost in thought, completely lost in thought right now? I said, no, no, okay, I can sense I'm present. Okay, that's that feeling of awareness. So for some people, it's this sense of feeling into the quality. Others, it's just an immediate recognition, the difference between being, being present and really clear in the mind when, when one's not present. That's it. I mean, really just recognizing the knowing is, is enough. And so you could just, and one way that to help that, that stability of awareness is just to ask yourself, what is the mind knowing? So am I aware and what's being known right now? Because anytime there's awareness, it's knowing something. The something may be calm. So oftentimes people will report, oh, I'm not experiencing anything. And they just ask, well, do you recognize or do I recognize that calm is being known? Nothing really sharp or specific, just a sense of calm, sense of ease. That's the mind knowing calm, the mind knowing calm. What's the relationship? You know, what's the attitude in the mind? Okay, now the mind is maybe grasping after it. It's leaning into it. So those questions wake up more aspects of the practice. Yeah, am I identifying with it? So we're using our wisdom to understand the experience. You know, just adding, adding more and more, uh, just little, little bits. I mean, this is the difference between, I like the analogy of pushing a swing, you know, where you just need to push it and tap it and the swing, you know, you push a child and just kind of goes. And if you don't know how to push a swing, you run up and then you have to run back and you run and it's exhausting. But the mind has this natural state. And if you're in sync with the way the mind works, if you just check, okay, so right now, for everyone, are you aware that you're seeing? Okay, so right now, if your eyes are open, and are you aware that you're seeing? Yeah. Are, is everyone aware that they're seeing now? Just the natural eye, seeing's happening. And unless you were act, actively being aware that you were seeing, which you may have been, just by naming it, the awareness, you're aware that you're seeing, right? Are you still aware that you're seeing? Sometimes it's like the awareness, I'm aware that I'm seeing, and then literally two seconds later, it's gone. Sometimes it stays for five seconds or ten seconds. But the actual act of checking, am I aware that I'm seeing? Am I aware that I'm hearing? It's effortless, Right? And that checking of that effortless nature, when we do that enough, the awareness gets sustained. And we really sense, oh, how much, how much energy do I need to put in right now? Oh, just enough to check. Just enough to check. And that gets a rhythm, the kind of momentum of awareness that becomes natural to the mind. So then the habit becomes more about the habit of awareness and mindfulness and less and less the habit of weak awareness, weak mindfulness. I expanded on the question, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> Does that help? Great. Maybe time for one more. One more? Yeah. I would say, you know, n- not in a way that's causing any stress, any tension in the mind, and any time you remember. So you remember... It's effortless. But then you try to remember and you're trying to do it. Okay, that's probably doing too much. It's like running, you know, running. Because you just drop the reminder in. What can I know right now? I know that I'm a bit tense. I'm working and I'm working with tension. Just feeling the tension. You know, and then it really is, it's just a, it's a nothing moment, but it's bringing in the reflection of awareness some, you know, the orientation of seeing the Dhamma, the way thing, the way this moment is. So just, just a light touch. That becomes interesting. That becomes inviting to do in our life. And 
it really is this feeling like, I can do this. I can do this anytime. I can do this in the middle of an argument. I can do it in the middle of, you know, an emotional storm or a heavy mood or, or just walking. I mean, any, any time we can do that. And that's that, you know, when we have the ability to know our own experience in a more and more full way, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. And so much of our life really is, is just letting the habits of mind play out. And unfortunately, a lot of habits of mind cause us a lot of, a lot of suffering. Yeah, a lot of tension. Um, so just check. If it's causing some tension, it's too much. You know, just trying to do too much. Because the mindfulness is effortless. It's the simple question. Am I aware? Am I seeing? Do I know I'm seeing? To just touch, you just touch it. And if there's already awareness, nothing to do. Just letting the momentum build and you bring in your own wisdom of reminding yourself, you know, this is a new moment being experienced. Anything like that in a way that is, is natural to, to the mind. Yeah. Then there's, then, then we can do this all the time. We're not creating you know, stress and tension in practice, which is what often happens. Thank you very much for your attention. It's nice to see those of you I know. It's nice to see those of you that I haven't yet met. And I'm glad to have the opportunity to introduce uh, Alexis to you. And I hope that uh, what we've spoken about tonight is uh, of interest. And if you have more interest, follow it. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Thank you, Mark. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.